Good morning, everybody. All right, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, if you will, where we've been for the past few weeks, and uh, we'll continue for the next couple weeks as well. Uh, let me pray as we get started, um, as you turn there as well. Uh, Father, God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for a time to gather as your people. Uh, God, you've called us here, you've drawn us here uh, out of your goodness so that we may worship you together uh, as your people. God, as we walk in the room with brokenness or struggles, as we walk in the room with joy and anticipation, as we walk in the door uh, carrying the burdens of uh, life, God, work, school. God, I pray that now would be a time of uh, respite as we meet with you. God, as you uh, promise through your word to dwell with your people uh, as we worship. God, as you speak clearly through your word that you inspired, uh, God, I ask now that uh, your Holy Spirit would dwell here with us, open our minds to understand your scriptures, and open our hearts to receive the gospel. God, transform us personally, transform us as your community of believers. Uh, God, for those who are not believers, God, transform as well, uh, that we may be uh, your people more like your son, Jesus. In his name we ask, amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to his people, and this promise extends throughout generations, across continents. This promise is epic and cosmic, and this promise is deeply personal. Over the past few weeks, as we've been in Acts chapter 2, we've seen how Peter preaches this great sermon now, we, we slowed it down because originally this was one sermon that Peter preached, but due to thousands of years of distance and cultural differences and language differences, uh, we slowed it down a bit because we didn't want to rush through it. But we see Peter is, is uh, one of Jesus' apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's a time of uh, Pentecost. It was a time for devout religious Jews to gather in the city to worship God, to celebrate his covenant renewal to his people. And so as they gather together to celebrate God's covenant faithfulness to his people, Peter stands up and preaches this brilliant sermon. Peter preaches and quotes from the prophet Joel. He preaches from texts in the Psalms, all pointing to how Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy, how Jesus is God's fulfillment of his promise for covenant renewal. 
we see as he is preaching from Joel, as we saw in verse 21, the prophet Joel, hundreds of years before the time of Christ, says, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Later, as Peter is preaching in this sermon, he quotes from the Psalms in verse 28, that, uh, that in God, you've made known the paths of life. You will make, make me full of gladness with your presence. So Peter's saying, look, the prophet Joel said, you know, uh, to, to turn to God, to call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And a few sentences later, he says, look, it's the presence of the Lord by which we have fullness of joy in his presence. And then in verse 36, he says, let all the house of Israel know therefore for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, stands up to uh, uh, people who were expecting God's covenant renewal or anticipating God's intervention They were celebrating God's covenant renewal. They were gathered together and Peter stands up and preaches and says all of the prophet that the prophet Joel was talking about, about being being saved by the Lord is is coming true in Jesus. What what David said through the Psalms acting as a prophet saying, look, you will have a fullness of joy with the presence of the Lord. That's coming true in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Peter charges them in verse 36, let all of the house of Israel therefore know know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And after he makes that pronouncement, empowered by the Holy Spirit, drawing from Old Testament scriptures, proclaiming this good news, look at the response of the hearers. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is the big question when you hear the gospel. What shall we do? Now, we have no way of transporting ourselves into the minds of of a first century uh, Jewish person. So we have no way of knowing, is this question asked uh, in mourning? Is it, is it asked with, with a rejoicing heart? Is it, is it mourning in the sense of, of fear? Like, oh, oh no, like, like you get your hand caught in the cookie jar and you're like, oh, what, what shall we do now? Is it prompted by guilt? Is it prompted by fear? Or is it prompted by uh, prideful action? Like, oh, we better clean up and get straight. I mean, what shall we do? If Jesus is Lord and Christ, we better clean ourselves up and get it together. How do you respond to this question when you hear the gospel? Over the past couple weeks as we've read scripture and now as we read scripture here again and and hear that that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, what shall we do? How do you respond to that question? Are you fearful? Do you feel guilt and shame? Do you feel pride? Friends, let me exhort you by saying, in the gospel there is no fear and guilt. In the gospel, there is no prideful self-reliance of doing better and trying harder. In the gospel, there is humble joy and faith. The gospel would answer that question, what shall we do with humble joy and faith? And we see that's what Peter draws their attention to. And they say, look, if Jesus is indeed the Lord's 
salvation, we call upon the name of the Lord and we shall be saved. If that, if that is Jesus being that covenant faithful uh, renewal from God himself, and, and if Jesus is the one that is the presence of the Lord with us by which we have uh, gladness and, and fullness of joy and the paths of life, if that indeed is Jesus, what shall we do? And Peter unpacks the gospel response this way. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Is that not a beautiful statement? Does that not awaken within you some amount of joy and trust and excitement? The 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, preaching Scripture right and left, says the promise of forgiveness and salvation from God on high through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is a promise for you? Does that even register? And that's what Peter says. His promise was, was for them and for their children and for those who were far off. We're far off from Jerusalem, just so you know. 2,000 years later, Augusta, Georgia is pretty far off from first century Jerusalem, right? So Peter says the response to the gospel is to repent and be baptized. Now, repentance is an ongoing theme through Scripture. And repentance, often we have a, a misunderstanding of what that means. Often we equate repentance with just being sorry for your actions or being sorry for something bad you did. And often when you're sorry, you say, well, I'm, I'm going to make an apology. And you apologize maybe because you did something embarrassing or maybe you feel guilty or shameful. Or maybe you're apologizing because you hurt somebody, like you, you know, borrowed somebody's bike and you wrecked it. You're like, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break your bike. That's not exactly what repentance is. See, repentance is more than just being sorry for something that happened, and repentance is more than something that's prompted by guilt or shame or embarrassment. The word repent means to turn or to change your mind. It's an indicator of, of transformation of character, of what you think about, what you love. Not only what you do, that's part of it, but what you think about. Where's your mind's attention? Where's your heart's affection? That's what repentance is. We see throughout Scripture, repentance is something that God calls his people to, to repent from sin and to repent from idols. Now, sin is anything we do when we delight in something more than we delight in God. It could be anything. It could be something just totally heinous, or it could be something somewhat minuscule. But anytime we find our ultimate delight in something other than God, that's sin. It could be a party lifestyle. It could be enjoying money more than you enjoy the Lord. <laughs> it can be enjoying uh, certain relationships. It could be enjoying something that God places in your life to be good, but you make it uh, something beyond that and you, it actually distracts you from the Lord. Like if, if God gives you this great opportunity to pursue an education and you're like, thanks God, and then you just turn your back on the Lord and enjoy your education without a heart of gratitude and opportunity 
that can be sin, right? So sin is anytime we delight in something more than we delight in God. And throughout Scripture, God calls us people to repent of sin. But likewise, God calls us people to repent from idols. Now, when I say that word, you're probably thinking, you know, dude, we don't worship statues here, you know? I don't see any statues around here that people are worshiping. Idols look different in our lives today. An idol, in essence, is anything we elevate to the position of God in our lives, something that we may see as a functional savior. Everybody has an idol. The human heart is an idol factory. An idol for you may be your relationship status on Facebook or just in reality. (laughs) An idol for you may be your uh, education. It's a hard one for me. How many degrees can you get, right? Got more degrees than Fahrenheit? That's not funny. I'm not going to be funny today. I'm not going to try to be funny today. I'm I'm never funny, but I'm not going to try to be funny today. We're going to keep it. Keep it real, okay? God calls us to repent from sin, and God calls us to repent of idols, and idols can be anything. Anything that God puts in your, in your life to be good, we can make it an ultimate thing, elevate it to the position of God. And if you're single, it can be really easy to put marriage as an idol. You think, if I just get married, everything will be right with the world. I can become an idol. Once you're married, you can say, well, if, if my family looks this way, then things will be right with the world. Now, that can become an idol too. Your family may look different than you thought. Maybe a job can become an idol for you. If I just had this position at my work, then all would be right with the world. If I just had this amount of money in the bank, then all would be right with the world. An idol is anything we elevate to the position of God that becomes a functional savior. So throughout scripture, we see time and time again, God's calling his people to repent of sin and repent of idols. So when Peter stands up and pronounces this great news, the good news of Jesus, that this is the fulfillment of God's covenant faithfulness to his wayward people, that he is restoring his people. For a first century Jew, you'd be thinking, well, we've got to repent of sin. Well, I've done that because I'm a devout religious person. And then idols would pop up in their mind. Well, I've got to repent of my self-reliance. I've got to repent of my goodness. Likewise, you and I today are called to repent of our sin, called to repent of our idols, called to repent of our self-reliance. Now, the nature of repentance is not only turning and changing your mind, it's new action, yes, but it's a new character, new attitude. And often the danger for you and I today is we think that repentance means to turn from something only, and we neglect to see who we're to turn to. And we end up turning from one idol to the next. We're like, well, this is an idol for me, so I need to get rid of it. And instead of this idol, I'll have this idol. You know, instead of looking at porn, I'll just go buy some more video games, right? That's not bad, is it? Instead of having this uh, job, I'll just change jobs, and then that other job becomes an idol for you. Well, maybe I need to get rid of the. Here's a, a silly example, because I couldn't think of a serious one. Earlier this year, I went for my yearly checkup with my doctor, always fun. It's funner the older I get, let me just tell you. You know, and so I was, I was hanging out with the doctor, and I just was kind of telling him some exercise goals I had this year. I just thought, I want to try this this year. I want to run this and do that. And he says, great. He says, Jeremy, let me just tell you, you probably need to lay off handfuls of cookies at night, right? Because we were talking about what I eat, and I'm like, man, I eat great. I'll eat a salad. You know, I'll get up, have a protein bar, a protein shake. I'll eat a salad for lunch, have a nice dinner. And then at 10 o'clock, I put the kids to bed, and I eat cookies, right? And the doctor's like, you know, 
I'm not saying you don't have to eat one cookie here or there. You, just, you don't need to have handfuls of cookies. Okay, that's not good. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to get rid of those cookies. I'm not going to eat the cookies anymore. So what did I do last night at 1030? I didn't eat cookies. No. Captain Crunch. <laughs> Two bowls of Crunch Berries. Okay? Now, that may sound silly, but this is, this is a silly way of what we do. I mean, often we say, look, I'm going to get rid of my sin, and we just jettison one sin and exchange it for another. Or we jettison one idol and exchange it for another. We get rid of the cookies, but then we get the Captain Crunch, right? It sounds silly, but in our cultural context today, it's so easy to do. It's so easy. I mean, there's like self-help things to get you out of sin and bondage that's culturally palatable, but biblically way off base. And the whole time, Jesus is, is saying, you know, repent, turn, change. And it's not only what we turn from, because we can turn from sin and just hop to another sin. We can turn from sin and hop to another idol. We can say, look, I want to get rid of this sin, and now my functional Savior will be this. I want to get rid of, here's just an example because it's rampant in our culture. I want to I get rid of the sin of porn addiction, so I'm going to get this software, and that's going to be my functional Savior. Right? Software on your computer will not change your heart. It's a safeguard, but don't let it become an idol. Okay, jettisoning one sin and expelling, expelling that sin and taking on an idol is not true repentance. Biblical repentance is not only about what you turn from, but who you turn to. And Peter says that's Jesus. Peter says true repentance, and his sermon here, it's biblical, is turning to Jesus. It's a reckless abandonment of sin and idols. It's a reckless abandonment of self-reliance, thinking we can do this, we can get better, we can try harder, we can, we can fix ourselves. It's a reckless abandonment and humble submission to Christ, saying we're a wreck. And so when Peter preaches the gospel and says the God of the Old Testament from Joel and Psalms is now fulfilling his promise to his people in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and the religious folks say, what shall we do? That should be a, a question of humble joy, humble reliance. Honestly, it should be a, a question of relief. Like, thank God we don't have to fix ourselves. Thank God we don't have to do better or try harder. Thank God we don't have to clean ourselves up because we're a mess. We're entrapped in our sin. We are wooed by idols. And only Christ can be the hero here. And that's good news. Repentance is turning from sin, from idols, and turning to Christ. Repentance is not only a one-time thing, but it's ongoing. It's something we are called to repent constantly. The beginning of Martin Luther's 95 Thesis says, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. I mean, repentance is ongoing. It's something we do constantly as God's people. So as Peter stands up and says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not like you just get dunked and you're in. Say you're sorry for your sins and idols and you're good. No, he's saying you are, you are being baptized in, you are identifying with Jesus Christ who's forgiving you, calling you his people. I'm jumping ahead here. And you will have a life of ongoing repentance, ongoing turning from sin, ongoing turning from idols, ongoing turning to Christ. 
Because in our culture today, man, it's so easy to accept sin and accept idols and say, well, it's not illegal, so it must be okay. Well, it's not really that morally or ethically wrong, so it's okay, right? No. I mean, dude, we are staggering drunk with sin and idols. We're just like flopping around because sin and idols are calling us. And all the time, Jesus is saying, stay the course. Repent. Turn to me. Stay the course. Like Marco Polo on Broad Street after a long night at Stillwater, man. You're just like, Marco Polo, Marco Polo, man. Sin calls you here. Idols call you here. Jesus is calling you forward saying, stay the course. Repent. Turn to me. Turn to me. In his book, Note to Self, pastor and author Joe Thorne, some of you guys met him when he came here, he says that repentance involves, he says it's like threefold. It involves revulsion, resolution, and repetition. The three R's. He's a Baptist pastor. I love him. He really is. He's a good guy. Revulsion, resolution, and repetition. Revulsion is you were revolted by the sin. You're revolted by your sin and idols, not only because of the effect it has on you, but because it's an offense to God. You see sin and idols as God sees it. You're revolted by it. But secondly, there's a resolution, a resolution to walk in holiness uh, and ongoing joy, ongoing pleasure in God, and ongoing resilience to walk in repentance with the God who's calling you. And repetition. You do this all the time. Got up and repented this morning, man. First thing I woke up this morning and said, good grief. I've been up 90 seconds. I already have a bad attitude. Repentance is ongoing. So what does repentance look like in your life, friends? What sin or idols are in your life that are calling you away from God? How are those expressed in your actions and in your attitudes? your mind's attention, your heart's affection, the the things that motivate you. What sin and idols are in your life that you need to repent of? But that's not the only response that Peter says happens here. When the gospel's proclaimed, the gospel response involves repentance, and he says, be baptized. Now, baptism is a representative work of Christ. Again, this is during the first century, a time when, uh, during Pentecost, when God's people were gathered celebrating covenant renewal, So baptism is a representation of God's covenant renewal to his people through the person and work of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. We're not going to talk so much about mode and method of baptism, but what we do see here that happens is God's people are called to repent and be baptized. Being baptized is a way for you to identify with Jesus, who himself was baptized, as our example It's a time to be uh, symbolically, representatively identified with the personal work of Jesus. It's something that's to be done in the context of community together. A new identity, personally, a new identity in the context of community. Repent and be baptized. So friends, as you think about what repentance looks like in your life, let me charge you, have you been baptized? Have you symbolically been representative, uh, have the representative celebration of being uh, united with Christ and with his people? Okay, so we see the response of the gospel is to repent and believe. We see the promise of the gospel. Secondly, here that, that Peter says, and I just love this because without the promise of the gospel, what's the point, right? This is what he says here. He talks about the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, look, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a promise for the forgiveness of your sins. Friends, 
In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. You're forgiven of your sin. You're forgiven of your idolatrous heart. You are forgiven in Jesus Christ. You're forgiven. This promise is for the most religious. This promise is for the most wicked. This promise is for those in the first century hearing Peter. It's for their children, and it's for those who are far off who God is calling to himself. We'll get to that in a second. God is calling his people. And in Christ, we have forgiveness of sin. In Christ, you have freedom from your past. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. You are free. You are forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. See, what's so hard for us, because as we are called to repent, we often see our identity in a sin, and we say, this sin owns me. I belong to this sin. And we try to repent, and we exchange that sin for another idol, and then we see our identity in that idol, and all the while, we are called to identify with Jesus, to embrace forgiveness and freedom. Peter says, the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's the beauty of this. In the context, the gift of the Holy Spirit here, Peter's not referring to some like force or some superpower like the Incredibles or something. You don't have, it's not, the Holy Spirit in this context, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of God's dwelling presence with you. The Holy Spirit is throughout Scripture, and we see that there's gifts of the spiritual gifts, and we see that there's, there's fruit of the Spirit. We see all these things about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit, in essence, is, is the third person of the Trinity. And in this context, in this sermon, in the book of Acts, in this particular usage of the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's talking about the presence of the Lord with you. I mean, that's what the whole sermon's about, right? Is, is God covenant renewal with his people. God's uh, coming down, saving his people, restoring his people, drawing his people together, cleansing them from sin and unrighteousness, making them his people so that he can dwell with them. That's what he's promised to do since Genesis. He's going to dwell with his people. And so here, Peter says, that is coming true in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And when you were forgiven of your sins because of the personal work of Jesus, you repent, you're baptized, you identify with God, you identify with God's people, You're forgiven of your sins, your idols, your past. You have freedom from that, and God's presence dwells with you. It's good news, right? See, sin keeps us from God. Idols keep us from God. Jesus draws us to God so that he will dwell with us. This is good news. This gives us joy. This gives us freedom. The Holy Spirit in Scripture is referred to as a comforter, So you walk in this room today with all kind of the weight of the world on your shoulders. I mean, you're hurting, you're stressed. Some of you guys have job transitions going on. Some of you have, some of you guys are moving. That's stressful. You have family stresses on you. The Holy Spirit dwells with you. If you were a Christian, not only are you forgiven from your past sins, but but God dwells with you personally and in the context of this community. God dwells with us. Shouldn't scare us. Should give us joy. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's peace. There's joy. There's comfort. So Peter unpacks the answer to this question, what shall we do? And he gives the response to the gospel to repent 
and be baptized. And he announces the promise of the gospel that there's forgiveness of sins and the dwelling Holy Spirit of God, not only for you, but uh, not only for them, but their children and those who are far off, which is you and I. If God has called you, you're, you're far off from Jerusalem, but God is still drawing you. And his presence dwells with us, and that's such good news. But thirdly, Peter draws our attention to the God of the gospel himself, lest we think that this is some new religion, some new spiritual moral code to live by, some new philosophical thing to wrap our brains around. No, it's the gospel. It's, it's good news. It's totally different than religion or spirituality or philosophy. It's good news that our God and King is coming to rescue us. And Peter makes that point so clearly. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. You see, biblically, the word name can mean what you call somebody, like, you know, your designation, like, hi, my name is Jeremy. But name was also indicative of a character change. It was indicative of a new way of living. It's indicative of being transformed. We see this throughout the Old Testament. Abram's name is changed to Abraham. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Time and time again, people's names are changed. We're changing the name of this church in a few weeks from the well to Redemption Church. It's biblical. When God shows up and wrecks somebody's heart, attitude, and then gives them a, a, a new action, a new mission, so to speak, their name is changed. And so to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is saying you're shedding off the idols. You're no longer identified by your idols. You're identified by Jesus. Your identity is not seen in the sins of your past. Your identity is seen in Jesus you're no longer the old you, you're the new you. The new you that has been baptized in Jesus. The dwelling place for God's Holy Spirit. Being baptized in the name of Jesus is a new identity. It's a new direction. A new way of living. I heard this beautiful statement at a funeral a couple of days ago. And in a letter that the girl had written to her father years ago, she said, Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. And that's good news when you know that in Christ, you are made new, you are made holy. You have a past, but that past no longer identifies you. That past no longer defines you. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. In Christ, your future is incredibly bright. So friends, we get to the end here. We see, okay, what shall we do? Friends, let me ask you to respond to this good news. I mean, the good news always evokes a response. Pastor Matt Chandler says, the heart of the hearer of the gospel must move either toward Christ or away from him. So friends, here we are at a crossroads. You've heard the good news. The fulfillment of God's covenant restoration to his people is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What shall we do? Harden your heart to the gospel or soften it? Repent and be baptized. Turn from your sin. Turn from your idols. Turn to Christ. 
be baptized, identify with the person and work of Christ. He now defines who you are, and that, that identity is lived out corporately in, in a community of believers such as this. Embrace the forgiveness of sin that is in Jesus Christ. Embrace the joy of God's dwelling presence with you and with us, his people. Follow God's call on identity and mission. You see, that's what he says here, that this is God's doing. He says, the promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Friends, the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is much louder and much better than any idol, than any sin. Jesus is, is calling people to himself. And don't you love, don't you love how Peter draws it to that? I mean, just a few verses earlier, he's reading the prophet Joel, and it says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we have like, people calling, calling to the name of the Lord, and then we get to the end of it here. We see, look, God, God shows up. He, he brings repentance, forgiveness, restoration. People are baptized. The Holy Spirit dwells with them, and it turns out it was God doing the calling as well. God is calling people, drawing people, identifying people to himself. So friends, imagine the impact of this good news lived out in your life personally. Identifying with Jesus, embracing forgiveness, knowing that God dwells with you. Ongoing repentance of sin, ongoing repentance of idols. Is that good news for you personally? Yes? Yes. Is that good news for your marriage? Is that good news for your family? Yes. Is that good news for your relationships and friendships? Yes. Is that good news for this church community? Yes. Can you imagine the impact of a life of ongoing repentance, walking with Jesus? Imagine the impact that would have on our lives and on this church and on this city. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the good news of your son, Jesus. God, when we open your scriptures, the gift of your word, we could camp out on every sentence for weeks. <laughs> so God, when we cover a lot of ground, Lord, I pray that your spirit would not only speak to us through your word during the time we have together, but God, that you would speak to us, to our hearts and minds, even as we leave from this place. God, as we read your word, as we discuss your word, as we meditate on your scriptures, as we think about the, the good news we've heard today, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be prompting all of our hearts and minds to repentance. God, I'm a sinner. I'm an idolater. And God, I thank you that sin and idols no longer defines who I am. And God, I pray that for my friends in this room. God, that they would know the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit with them as a comforter and counselor. Lord, that, that we as your people, as this church, would know the sweet forgiveness of sin and idols that we have in Jesus. God, that we would turn from them and run to you because you were calling. God, that we would lean into you, that we would run into your arms. And God, in so doing, experience fullness and gladness of joy by your presence and, and the fulfillment of being your people and God, indeed, that our lives would be wrecked with this good news personally and in our families and our communities. God, that this church would be transformed because you were calling us to be your people.
God, may we be obedient. God, that you would soften our hearts to repent and believe. God, that you would set our hearts ablaze with this good news. For your glory and our joy and the advancement of the gospel, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.